So John 21, we'll be starting in verse 15 and reading through to 19. Uh, I think this passage makes a lot of sense as we take a break from 1 John, but we've talked about it a lot over the past weeks, Coach has, Owen has, um, and going through 1 John is there's, there's a couple things that are repeated all the time. One of those words is, is agape, it's love. And uh, this passage in John 21 plays a huge role, I believe, in, in John's portrayal of love in 1 John and the love of the brethren that proceeds from that. Um, and so we're going to look at this passage this morning, written by the same author, and see how th- this instance in which um, love is, is asked of, of Peter and, and Peter's response and, and the consequences so if you would, as we read this, take heed to the word of God. This is the, the God who made you, forms you, who, who t- nourishes you and takes care of you. And this is, is his living word. So take heed to the words of the living God. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be able to come before you this morning in your word to know that you have not left us to to fend for ourselves, but you've left us the Holy Spirit as an inheritance, that we can understand the words you've given us. We thank you that that you constantly open our eyes to the scriptures to understand the things spoken. And we pray this morning that as we read this passage, we would see the love that we're called to, to Christ ultimately and and to the brethren consequently. That we'd see the the love that, that Christ has purchased us with, the, the love that transcends all our sin and, and misery and, and purchases us and makes us a priesthood. A love that presents us holy and blameless before you. Father, we pray this morning that we would see that love in Christ. That we would see a greater love than we've ever seen. And the, that we would then seek to show that love to the church. That we would seek to be like our Savior and Lord and walk in the steps he walked. Help us constantly, Lord, to cry out to you to cry out to you to love each other more, to cry out to you for more grace, to seek you earnestly while you can be found, and to call upon you while you're near. Help us to never rely on ourselves, but to constantly be reliant upon you and your sovereign power, that in all things we can be more than conquerors through the love of Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's just for a second, put ourselves in, in Peter's shoes here. Uh, Peter just, a 
little while earlier, we read in Matthew, had, had made this confession to Christ. If everyone else denies you, I won't do it. Everyone else can go their own way. Everyone else can walk away from you. And I'm going to stand fast. I'm going to stand by your word. He said this to his Lord. He said this to Christ. He looked Christ in the eyes of that table and he said, if everyone else were to leave you, not me, Lord, I won't do that. And then Christ goes to Calvary. And Peter denies him three times. He mourns. He's sorrowful. And then Christ comes to him, breathes the Holy Spirit upon him, and says, you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Right? He gives him power to go proclaim the gospel. And then Peter goes, and we read just in, in the context of this passage, he goes back out and is fishing again. He's gone back out to his profession. He's gone back out to what he was doing before. And now, that very Lord he had just denied three times is looking him in the eyes and saying, Peter, do you love me? Do, do you love me? Now, in this passage, we have two kinds of loves spoken of, and our English, of course, doesn't portray that, but you have two different Greek words. Coaches, I want to spoken about them before. You have agape, and you have philia. Two different Greek words that represent, in, in some sense, two different sorts of love. Agape would be a devotion, a devotion to someone out of a conscious love. So, in other words, it's used a lot in the New Testament per God's election. God looks at you, he chooses you, and he decides to love you. And because of that, he decides to send his son, Jesus Christ, who dies on your behalf, and then he indwells his spirit within you, Right? So this, this love is not just a word, but it's actual deed. It's, it's, it's a commitment to you from God because of this love. And that's agape love as portrayed in the New Testament. The other love that we see in this passage, the other word used is, is philio. Owen's mentioned it before. Uh, we get the word Philadelphia, right? Hebrews 13.1, let brotherly love continue. That's Philadelphia. Right? A, a brotherly love. We, we're a brotherhood and we love each other as such. We care about each other. But it's not necessarily a, a commitment to an individual. It's, it's a general love. This passage contains both of those. And that's going to be important as we go through this. So remember that. Agape is devotion. Filio, brotherly. All right. So Simon... Son of John, Jesus asks, do you love me more than these? The question that Jesus says to Peter is, is agape. Agape love is the Greek word used. Do you love me? Are you committed to me more than all of these things? The question arises, what are these? Um, and, and context would say it would be his, his livelihood, basically. All that he knows, the fish, his, his friends, those around him, his boat, right? Jesus comes up to him. After he has just denied him three times and says, Simon, son of John, are you more committed to me than to all of these things? To all those things which are around you, to all those things you hold so dearly to, do you love me more than these? Peter's reply to that is, yes, Lord, you know that I filio. You know that I, I love you. I have a brotherly affection for you. I, I care about you. Peter expresses no 
commitment. And in fact, Peter doesn't even say, I love you more than these. He just says, I love you. He says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus' reply is, is feed my lambs. There's a, there's a consequence to love. But what we see happening here is not Peter returning the type of love that Christ has asked for, but returning a different kind of love, a brotherly love, not a commitment to Christ. Not yet. So, so Christ gives him this command, feed my lambs, and then he goes again and says, Simon, son of John, do you agape? Do you love me? Notice the phrasing changes. It's no longer do you love me more than these. Now Jesus is just asking, do you love me? Do you, do you have a commitment to me? Peter's reply? Yes, Lord, you know that I, Philio, love you. Second time, Christ asks him, are you committed to me? And Peter replies, well, I, I have affection for you. I care about you. So a third time, Jesus comes to him. And this time, Jesus' words switch. He says, Simon, son of John, do you, Philio, love me? As if he's looking Peter in the eyes and he's saying, you've said twice that you have this affection for me, but do you even have that? The first time Jesus asked, he says, do you love me more than these? And then it, it goes to just, do you love me at all? And then it goes, do you even actually have the kind of love that you express to have to me? It just keeps going down. Peter replies, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I, Philio, love you. I have, I have this, this brotherly affection for you, this love for a friend. To which Jesus says, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Notice what happens. Christ has asked Peter three times if Peter loves him. Three times Peter has neglected to show the type of love that Christ is asking of his servant. And so Christ says, I'll do it. Christ says, I'm going to put a love in you that will make you go to the grave for me. Although you're not willing now, although right now you're unwilling to express any sort of commitment unto me as your Savior, although I just went to the grave for you and you're unwilling to give this up, surely I tell you, there's coming a time. There's coming a time where although right now you get to dress yourself and you get to go to work and do your fishing and do those things which you do, there's coming a time when you won't be able to. And if I'm expositing this passage correctly, what's happening is Jesus is saying, I'm going to fill you with such a love for me. I am going to make my love so manifest in your life that you are going to be so committed to me. That you're going to be so committed to the cross. That you're going to be so committed to Calvary. 
That although right now you're doing these things, you're going to go to death for the sake of the cross. And those earlier two commands that Christ had given, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, Peter, although you're not committed now, your love for the great shepherd is going to magnify itself in your love for the sheep. And as you go out proclaiming the gospel, that love is going to be shown to such an extent that no matter what people do to you, your love for me is going to be so great that you won't stop. So Jesus' statement here to Peter is that despite Peter's weakness, I mean, think about Peter's position here. Peter had just denied his Lord three times. He was weak. He was frail. Perhaps he didn't even feel like he could say, I'm committed to you, Lord, because he had just denied him three times. And by the third time, a lot of commentators note on this passage that it's very probable that what happened was when Jesus said the third time, do you love me? Peter's mind was brought back to the fact that he denied him three times. And so he was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time. And so you have this weak and helpless man sitting at the feet of his Savior, unable to conjure up the love that Christ desires of him, unable to conjure up the, the commitment unto Christ that Christ says he must have. And Christ says, I'll make you. Christ says, I'll take you. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll, I'll put a love in you that will make you walk according to my, my commandments and obey my statutes. I'll, I'll give you new heart. We know historically that, that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross for the sake of Christ. Upside down because he was unwilling to be crucified in the same way his Savior was crucified. Now, Jesus' statement here doesn't necessitate that that's the death, but we know that that is what happened. What, what Jesus so statement necessitates is that, Christ, that Peter, sorry, would face persecution for his love for Christ, for his commitment, that agape love for his Savior. And Jesus ends the whole thing saying, knowing this, follow me. I mean, what an encouraging thing. You're going to die, Peter. Follow me. But this is the love that Christ provides for his people. So based upon this passage and based upon that example set forth in this conversation between Christ and Peter, I have two premises and then a conclusion. Should be easy to follow, hopefully. Premise one, we're going to expound upon these. Premise one is that we are incapable of proper agape love in ourselves. We're incapable in ourselves of conjuring up that love, and that's seen in Peter very clearly. Premise two is that God provides us love in Christ through the working of the Spirit. And if those two premises are correct, that leads to the conclusion, the more we know Christ and rely on Christ and love Christ, the greater our love will be for one another. 
And, and so the end goal, especially as, as we read through 1 John and read about this love of the brethren we're supposed to have, and we see these things, like if you don't love the brothers, you don't know life. If, if, if you don't love the brother who you can see, how can you love God who you can't see? What that all comes back to is John asking the question, has God manifested his love in Christ into you through the working of the Spirit? Here's your test. Do you love Christ so much that you're willing to love the sheep? Does your love for Christ manifest itself in your love for his people? So premise one, we're incapable of proper love in ourselves. And we saw that with Peter. I want to go to two more passages. I'm going to read one from John 3. But if you guys want to turn to 1 John, we'll be there most of the time for the rest of the sermon. But John 3, it says, This then is the judgment, verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light. That's agape love spoken of there. People loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. What did Jesus say? The truth has come, but your love is where? Your commitment is to the darkness. Your commitment is not to light. Your commitment is not to the sun. Your commitment is to darkness. And that's the, the truth of every unbeliever. That's the truth of everyone who, is, who has not known the love of Christ experientially is that their love is of darkness. The beautiful thing we'll see in premise two is that despite our love of darkness, despite our hatred of Christ, Christ still loved us. But for now, the depraved person loves darkness. In 1 John 3, verse 14, and these are all passages that we'll, you know, obviously be going through. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. There's two ways. A love that leads to life and a lack of love that leads to death. The lack of love of which John speaks of is the same thing which John 3 calls a love of darkness. Uh, a love, a love of, of darkness is not the love that is, is spoken of in 1 John for the brothers. And we'll speak more on that here later. But the point being that within ourselves, within our own depraved nature, with, within our, our own spot before God, place before God, we're incapable of, of this love that Peter is called out to. We're incapable of this love that First John calls us out to. We cannot fulfill it. We will fail every single time. Because our love is lacking. Our flesh Wars against us. 
what the Spirit is willing. Premise one, we're incapable of proper love in ourselves. Which leads us to the point, which is the bigger overarching point of this, which is premise two, God provides us love in Christ through the working of the Spirit. Right? Jesus' statement to Peter was not, well, you might do this. His statement was, this is going to happen. You dress yourself now, but a time is coming when you will not. It's not, of course, not the, the only place we see it. If you're still in 1 John, look at chapter 4. Actually, look at chapter 3, verse 16. How do we know love? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See the commitment of love, the agape love there. Right? What is the biblical definition of love? It's, it's a commitment unto death. Follow that through to chapter 4, verse 11. Verse 10, sorry. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's hard to describe how, how manifest the love is. In, in Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections, he speaks of this, this agape love as, as a, a knowledge um, but also a feeling. And, and I think that's where we have to try to meld the two together in that you can have all the knowledge in the world of Christ and it will do you nothing if it's not experienced. You can know the scriptures front and back and if it's not an experiential love of Christ, it's worthless in terms of salvation. And so when we speak here, this is love, not our love for God, right? Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We see the ultimate love that we ought to desire for, that we ought to, to run after, right? That, that love that Christ calls Peter unto, which is a love that ends in death. It, notice, too, in this, this premise and in this passage, the love is Trinitarian. Uh, the Father loves his people. And so he, he sends the Son, who, who shows his love for his people by dying for them. And then the Spirit, out of love for those elect people, indwells them. And so we have a complete Trinitarian love that's shown to us in the person and deity of Christ. It's manifested to us, this passage says, in the propitiation which Christ made at the cross. You want a great example of love? Look at the one who lived in infinite glory, who lived with the Father for eternity. 
and became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who knew no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Yet he who knew no sin became sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The, the one who loved his bride and laid himself down for her. The one who, who laid down his life for his sheep, for his friends. He is our perfect example of love. And that love from God, being an agape love, is a committed love that purchases a people and purifies them. So so God's provision of love is not merely in the fact that he showed us what love is at the cross, but that at the cross he actually purchased us, therefore redeeming us and cleansing our consciences Cleansing our consciences, that was a tongue twister. Cleansing our consciences from dead works to serve the living God so that we are able to seek after the love that was shown to us at the cross. God's provision of love for us is shown by him purchasing us and making us able to love. 1 John 4.19, we, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. It leads to the conclusion. If premise one is correct, if we're incapable of the proper love in ourselves, if premise two is correct, if, if God shows us love in, in Christ, if he manifests love to us in Christ and, and, and indwells us with his spirit, regenerates us that we're actually capable of this love, the conclusion is if we want to fulfill the commands of 1 John, if we want to love our brothers as we ought to, the conclusion, the more we know Christ, the more we rely on Christ, the greater our love will be for one another. Again, we go back to the example we were just given in Peter. Peter grew to such a love of Christ, such a committed love, that he laid down his life for the sake of the gospel. He he grew to, to such a commitment that he was willing to give up everything. He had nothing left in this world that he held to. He held only to that which was eternal. His love for the great shepherd magnified itself in his ministry to the sheep. The point being that the primary love that a Christian must have in order to love the church does not end at the church. The primary love a Christian must have is a love for his Savior that manifests itself in his love for the church. The, the love for the church is just the outward show of his love of the Savior. It's, it's the beams of the light that, that has been put in him. If we don't have a, a proper love 
and desire for Christ, we can never have a proper love and desire for his people, for his sheep, for his church. If, if Peter is going to actually be able to fulfill these commands given to him by Christ in this passage to tend to the flock, he must love the great shepherd. People will constantly change. In the church, and in society, people are going to constantly change. If, if your soul end in preaching the gospel is your love for the people you're preaching it to, then you stop as soon as that love changes. But if your goal in preaching the gospel is your love for the Savior who has purchased a people, it's a love for his glory and for his name, then you're willing to preach. Even when the people you're preaching to bind you and bring you where you don't want to go. Because you know that your Savior was bound. You know that your Savior was nailed to a tree. Not only that, you know that your Savior will be glorified through the redemption of sinners, and you love that. And so you're willing to lay down your life for the gospel, not because, only because you love the people, but because you love the Savior. And your Savior doesn't change. If, if, if this brotherly love, if, well, I say brotherly love in the sense of this, this communal love, the agape love that manifests itself in, in actual action, if it's based totally upon the person that the love is extended to, then as soon as that person changes, that love is going to change. But if the love is based on the Messiah who never changes, then your love will never change. If your love for Christ and his church is based upon the fact that Christ has purchased his church with his own blood, then no matter what the church people do, your love remains the same. Because Christ doesn't change. Because Christ's blood has purchased these people. So you care for them, not because they themselves are worthy of a dying love, because Christ is worthy of a dying love. Because Christ is the worthy one. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Christ's love for his people is, is shown to be a prayerful prayerful love for his people. But you notice in this passage what he says is that the result of our knowing God is that his love is manifested in us. I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. which is my conclusion. The more we know Christ and rely on Christ, the greater our love will be for one another.
The more we study the person and deity of Christ, the more we understand the worth of Christ, the more we look to the cross where Christ was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, the more we look to his high priesthood in the heavens where he forever intercedes for us out of love for us, the more we're going to show love for one another. Because he's our example. 1 John 5.1, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. What's that mean? The greater our love for the Father, the greater our love for those who have been born of him. The more we can grow in our knowledge of the Father, the more we can grow in our commitment to the Father, the greater our commitment is going to shine in our love for one another. Christ has to be the source of it all. As soon as we lose that vision, we're going to lose our love for one another. If we ever, as a church, were to look past Christ and seek to just love one another apart from the true nature of love described in the scriptures, we will lose what love actually is. We'll lose that agape love. But the more we study and know God, the more we know love, as portrayed in the scriptures, the greater our love will be for the church. And not only that, but the more we know the character of God, the more we can we can grow in understanding in our knowledge of God and how his love was shown, the greater our love will be able to be shown in a like manner. The more we look to Christ and see how he loved his people, the, the greater we're going to be able to love one another. If we look to John 17 and say, how was love manifested in Christ here? And it's in his fervent prayer to the Father on behalf of his sheep. How do we love the congregation? How do we love each other? We spend time in fervent prayer for one another. Look to Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove. So be zealous, repent. How is love manifested by Christ? In, in reproving those who have fallen. Ultimately, of course, love was manifested by Christ in his laying his life down for his sheep. And being that atoning sacrifice for their sins. But there's so many examples in the scriptures as we look to Christ. That we can look to him and say how did he love? And how ought we to love? I'll end with this passage in Ephesians. And this truly is my prayer for myself as well as everyone. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us what love is, that you've sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins, that you've given us an example to walk in, and not only that, that you've given us new hearts, that we're able to love as we ought, that we're able to, to seek to love as we ought, at least, that we're able to be committed unto your flock, unto your sheep, unto to your church. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do just that. That you'd help us to love the church as you love the church. Help us to love one another as you love us. You'd help us to not think of ourselves and and what we want, but, but to think of each other first. To have that commitment unto each other. That we're willing, if need be, to lay down our lives for your people. Pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.